Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means shaking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm currently in a beautiful setting walking down to the hotel where I'm running my Elite Speaker Bootcamp, which I run once a year. And I thought I'd have a little bit of fun and do a little bit of net leverage time and do the introduction to this episode, which I'm really excited for you. I think that Again, it's something very different. I keep disrupting the podcast, or at least uh, doing my best to do that for you. And the chap who I'm about to interview, about 11 years ago, when I was literally just getting into proper business and had no clue, but I was persistent, I managed to get a lunch with someone who was way ahead of me. I mean, in the events business, he was pretty much the top guy. And word on the street was that he just sold his coaching academy business for many, many millions. And I thought, I need to meet this guy. And I think in the end, he just decided to uh, entertain me for a meeting because I wouldn't leave him alone. And I went down to Putney and we sat at Carluccio's, uh, very near to his penthouse apartment uh, that he bought for millions of pounds. And I was like, whoa, this guy is my God. (laughs) And we had a great lunch and um, he was really helpful. And at that time, he was one of the few people that had successfully exited the events and seminar business because many businesses, small businesses, entrepreneur businesses, they're all based around the founder. Um, And so without the founder, the business has no value. Uh, And many speakers, promoters, events-based businesses, the speaker, the promoter, is the main asset to the business. Uh, And I was um, starstruck that um, Jonathan had managed to exit and sell his business for, like I said, many, many millions. Um, And I wanted to know more about it. But it was weird because for the next 10 years, I didn't really do anything with what he told me. I just built my business. Of course, I built it for the first few years around my name and my business partner, Mark Homer's name. Uh, I'd pretty much forgotten and ignored everything he said. Uh, And then about five years ago, I thought, if I want to scale progressive unlimited success, I need to get my name off the business. I need people to have relationships and value to the company and to our team, our people, our trainers, and not just me. Otherwise, it has no scalability. It's only 24 hours I have in a day. And it has no saleability because people aren't going to buy a company and then when the founder leaves, everyone wants the founder. Um, In that journey of 10 years, totally by accident, Um, My business partner Mark and I had actually bought two companies. One was a personal development business which in its best year did just about 10 million pounds in its best year when we had it. I mean it was doing many, 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 many millions. They were running some of the biggest events in the UK but when the recession came they struggled, this um, events promotion business. Um, And we pretty much bought it for no money down. We paid a token sum uh, just really to show that there was a transaction. Uh, and really we had the asset of a, a huge database and 
um, we had some events to fulfill, about £800,000 worth. And um, that business grew, like I said, in its best year to do £10 million. It might do the same again, maybe more this year. I didn't even really know I did it. It was just something that happened. And also, we bought a letting agency, which had quite a few hundred units, and we did a deal, and that turned out to be very little money down as well. And so, Jonathan had taught me this in our meeting where I'd bugged him 11 years ago. I completely forgot it and just went on building my business like some crazed workaholic, which of course you know from my life leverage philosophy is not how I look at business now. I then accidentally did two transactions that he'd sort of um, vicariously taught me back then. They've made tens of millions, they cost me virtually nothing. So why has it taken me 11 years to do an episode on this journey for you? I don't know, sometimes I'm a bit slow. So the man uh, you're about to listen to is Jonathan Jay, who's one of the most highly regarded business owners, business buyers, business sellers in the whole country. He's a multi-multi-millionaire. He's done many business purchases, no money down. He's turned businesses around. He's flipped businesses. He's, he has a 4F formula. And um, he's, I just think you're gonna love him. I don't wanna um, give anything more away in the intro. So, welcome to the episode with my good friend and business buyer, seller, flipper, um, legend, Jonathan Jay. Jonathan, thanks for doing the interview. Good afternoon, hello. You've become an expert, and you might not like me to call you that, but I think you are, certainly the way I see you, in maximising the value of running a business, i.e. not running it. Would yes. that be a fair thing to yeah, say? Yeah, because I, I think at times I'm not actually particularly good at running a business. Right, um, yeah. I'm, I'm not I'm massively organised. Um, You're not, or you are? I'm, I'm not. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm really bad at uh, at, at, at sort of the administration side of things yeah. and um, and How quite about your people management. Skills? Well, I was about to say <laughs> st- staff frustrate frustrate me yeah. because I want things done a certain way and that is a very limiting thing when you run a business. If you yeah. if you want everyone to be a copy of you, well, it's just going to be. First of all, you won't find those people, no. so you'll always be disappointed. Uh, and 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 then it's not a great way to have everyone being the same person, you yeah. a, a room full of clones. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work. So um, I, I don't know, I, I, I just, when I, think, I think selling my first business so reasonably young for a reasonable amount of money yeah. was uh, a, a bit of a, a wake up call that the, the sales process is really where you win. The right. day-to-day operations, um, that's not really where you make money. In fact, actually, if you if you work out how much time you put into your business, yeah. um, quite often you're probably working at minimum wage right. uh, if you add in all the extra hours. And my test of, of someone's um, uh, um, exertion and effort into a business is if the first thing they do in the morning is um, is, is look at their phone and their emails and the last thing they do at night as they plug their phone in is look at their phone yeah. and look at their emails so you you really are operating you know all the waking hours and if you divide it up on an hourly rate it's not great so selling a business is um is the windfall yeah so i'm going to explore all of this in a minute you've sure. sold business for millions of pounds you've bought sold retired bought sold retired built sold retired yes. etc and you've got a great story I want to pick up on something you said because I think this is really important to explore. So um, when we start in business, we're an entrepreneur and we have a vision of how we want things done. Most people who you hire will never do things the way you want, as you've said. Mm -hmm. You want to hire people like you, except people like you make the the worst employees Mm because people like you started your business. 
and you think you can manage people, but you've had no experience of managing people. You're Correct. a shit manager of people. Yes. And you only learn all this two or three years into your business when it's nuts. Absolutely. And those two or three years, typically, you don't make any money. Right. So not only do you have all the pain, yeah. you don't have any money. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's, a, it's a double pain. pain. Yeah. So there's no, there's no reward for that huge amount of effort and commitment that you yeah. put in at the beginning, um, which is why I always advocate you should um, find a business that's been up and running. It's got the staff. It's been it's burnt through all the bad hires. Yeah. So you've got all that out of the way. Right, you've yeah. probably got a team that have been there for several years. They're stable maybe a little bit dull from the outside because yeah. it all feels a little bit steady, but that's a perfect business to buy. Yeah. And then you can just layer in your new ideas, your fresh perspective, um, your, um, your new products or services, and build on a solid platform. See, a startup is, is, is being built on sand, typically, yeah. and it's constantly shifting. You know, I, I speak to, to startups, as you do all the time, and people say, well, you know, this, this, you know, this, is, this is my product. Um, and but then you meet them a few weeks later, and the products change slightly, so it's evolving. Um, where if you want financial stability, you need a stability around the product or service, and buying a business gives you that. Yeah. Now this is a complete revelation to me. It's like a new dimension in a parallel universe because it's not something I ever thought about. Um, and actually, I think about eighteen months ago, I got this revelation. Now I love talking to people like you. I'm also quite happy if we have opposing views. And I, I, some of my views oppose yours. I, I like running a business. I like all the juxtaposition of all the team and the staff. I like growing it. We make a lot of money out of our business and we have for years. But um, about 18 months ago, leading into last tax year, it was obvious to Mark and I we'd hit a bit of a ceiling that growth next year was going to be hard. We were going to have to work probably twice as hard and we might be lucky if we got 5% growth, where we'd been used to working the same and getting 50% growth. And it's like, so to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result was insanity. You know, pumping more money into your Facebook ads, trying to hire, you know, more people. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we got 7% growth, but we worked a lot harder. And we thought, we can't keep doing this. It's unsustainable. Uh, and then I thought, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be an easier way. And I don't even know why this didn't occur to me. Why don't we start buying and acquiring businesses who've, you know, who may be turning over a million, much smaller than us. Um, we'd have knowledge and skills and experience we can implement into them. And at the same time, I was listening to a podcast and this, you know, you assume venture capitalists go into startups, but there's actually quite a lot of smart VCs. They don't go into startups. They wait until the third or fourth round of money. They wait till the startup isn't a startup, i.e. it's a real business, mm -hmm. and then they put the money in then mm -hmm. because 90% of the startups have finished up and yeah. are gone. And, yes. and it was, it's funny, you send the messages out to the universe or whatever, and that's when we started reconnecting again. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. Instead of starting it yourself, find one that has done all that hard work and then just take it over. Well, let, let's say you buy a business that has been in existence for five years. Let's say the first year they maybe made a loss, the owner borrowed, funded the business, so there was effectively a loss because there was a loan against the business. Uh, year two, it started to sort of, sales started to increase. Year three, it looked a little bit better. Maybe the loan starts being re repaid. Uh, year four, um, it starts to stabilize even more. And by year five, you've got something that's working, but it's not spectacular. Um, if you buy at year five, <laughs> yeah. you've just saved yourself five years of your life. Yeah. How about that? Saving five years of your life of trial and error. Let someone else do that 
someone who wants to do that, someone yeah. who gets excited by that, and then you come in um, and become the new owner. And we'll talk later if we have time about how to how to do that, how to how to structure that type of deal in in a way that that everyone's happy with the result. Why would someone sell at that time if they've done all the hard work and they've got to that breakthrough year? Why would they sell? It's because they've done five years of hard work. <laughs> they're absolutely knackered. They're yeah. frustrated by the whole thing. Um, they can't seem to get it to the next level, which is the phrase you hear every business owner say. Yeah. I can't get it to the next level um, and they've, they've just had enough. Um, maybe uh, they got to a certain point and then it started to move backwards again yeah. and it was like I can't go through this again will I be here in another five years doing the same thing and quite often the business owner is so frustrated you as the buyer are solving their problem. Right. You are releasing them from the business. Yeah. You, are, you, are, you are the knight in shining armour who is helping them um, give them their life back. Yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't really think of it like that. But actually, um, you could have a very good business with a very good product. Mm-hmm. But the lack of passion and enthusiasm and the frustration from the the founder has manifested through to the team. Correct. Who are Absolutely. all good people, but demotivated. Demotivated, demoralised. Yeah. The thing is, you've got lots of energy, lots of enthusiasm, and you keep on going. So you aren't you as an individual, Rob, aren't representative of many business owners who really do get so right. frustrated. Sometimes they just want to throw in the towel. They yeah. just want to say, I've just, I've just had enough of this. If someone would just take the keys, I would walk away because my, my family, my life, my, my mental health, my frustration, yeah. my, my sleepless nights, it's just not worth it. Right, now this is interesting. And um, I, I t- sometimes it takes me a while, but then when I see it, I see it. Um, uh, Liverpool played yesterday, Liverpool, my team, I support, and they lost 1-0 to, to, to Swansea, and I knew they were going to lose. Um, and on the, the TV before, the pundits was talking about the new manager syndrome. Yes. The new manager syndrome is a, a team who are at the bottom, a new manager comes in, they immediately start winning games. Why do they Absolutely. immediately start winning games? They're the same team, and Liverpool had this, and I thought, they're going to lose to Tottenham. The new manager comes in, new passion, new energy, new enthusiasm. Great analogy. Same people. They start winning. They beat Liverpool, the informed team, yeah. and, and, and I knew we were going to lose. And they yeah. played really well, and they had a good, they had, had new tactics as well, which worked. And, I just, and, and it just made me think, because obviously I knew we were meeting today. That's what a new set of eyes, a new owner into the business brings. It's, 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 it's exactly that, and that's a great analogy. Uh, so the, the new owner comes in, there's almost a sense of relief that the old owner has gone, yeah. um, and that's when the staff t- start telling you, well, yeah, um, you know, uh, Jeff, was, Jeff was great, but, um, and the but is, Everything. Um, <laughs> um, I know the customers are asking for this product, and he refuses to stock it because uh, he doesn't like that particular supplier. And it's like, well, if the customers want it, why aren't we selling it to the customers? Mm. And there's all these things that, because the, the, the biggest blockage in a business typically is the business owner. Yes. So um, the wonderful advantage of becoming a deal maker is uh, although you own the shares, you aren't the operator. The operations are done by managers uh, and you don't get involved in the operations. You let the managers do their job and do it day in, day out deal with the good stuff, deal with the bad stuff, and you limit your day-to-day involvement to a monthly management meeting or a board meeting, if you like, where you sit down and you set the goals for the next month, check on the achievement of the goals for the last month. And you know what? Business owners love the variety. So if you own 
four or five or six different business investments. You might be with this type of business, the recruitment company today, the the, uh, software company tomorrow, the plumbing and electrical installation company the next day. And, And that that variety is very, very appealing. Yeah. And you can cross-fertilize the different businesses. So if you've got a great marketing person here, now all the companies have access to a great marketing person. Yes. You've got a great sales team over here. Well, it's unlikely the sales team are working you know, full, full steam, mm. so they can be utilized to sell this company's products over here. And those synergies and that symbiotic relationship means that all the companies combined with the new manager syndrome, all the companies start to uh, increase in productivity and therefore in profitability. And now you've got a group that's doing remarkably well. Yeah, and this is a big distinction because people mostly don't know the difference between a business operator and a business owner. And I think you've made that point. A lot of people think when you go into a business, you have to go and roll up your sleeves and do all the work. And it's very British, isn't it? We've got to work hard, we've got to work hard, we've got to work hard. Almost if you don't work hard, you're cheating. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, yeah, this, this, I, mean, I, I, had, um, I had a dinner with some private equity people a little while ago. I, was, I had a business that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to sell them. And yeah. they actually took me out for dinner, which was a, which was a decent sign. <laughs> yeah. And um, the, the four of us, uh, so it was the three of them and me, we were sitting uh, around the table. And um, as the evening went on, they were laughing about how poor they would be at actually running a business. They said, yeah. wouldn't let us anywhere near <laughs> yeah. a business. We'd just mess it up. Now, at the same time, they just completed a one hundred million pound fundraise wow. to acquire businesses. So, the city in, institutional investors had trusted them with one hundred million pounds, but they agreed between them that they would be terrible at running a business because they didn't have to run a business. Mm. They just found good people to run the business. And typically when you buy a business, the good person's there. It's usually the number two person, the the right-hand person who says, look, if you just let me get on with this, Jonathan, I'll do this, 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 and this. I'll see you next month. I'll report back to you. I'll tell you what's going on. Yeah, I'm at the end of the phone if you need me, but just let me get on with implementing the plan that the previous owner held us back on. Right, and this is, uh, you know, like the, we almost feel like it's cheating. But actually, if you look at it on the reverse, if you're in the trenches, you know, and shooting at people, you don't get to see the helicopter view of the strategic map of the battlefield. This is classic Michael Gerber. Right. This is classic. I've interviewed him on this podcast. Oh, did you really? So, um, you know, if, if someone hasn't read a Michael Gerber book, you can summarize it in one sentence, which is yeah. work on the business rather than in the business. Yeah. And this is classic work on the business yes. rather than in the business. And we all know, and Michael Gerber's been saying it for 25 years, work on the business rather than in the business. And that's why um, you have success stories versus success stories that never happened. Yeah. And when you're on, say, a board or you're in a monthly meeting, you can just look at profit and loss and you can speak to the operations team and you know what's going on and you can make rational decisions. Yeah. When you're in the business and you know someone is not performing but you got friendly with them, you used to go... Because I used to go down to the gym with my staff and things like that and I you know, got a bit... It's good to be close to them but I got yeah. too close to them and then if I had to make hard decisions or pick them up on something I couldn't do it and so when you're stuck in you actually can't see the wood for the trees and and you can't make the right decisions so the less involved you are often the more rational decisions you can make here's the thing the less emotional you are about business the more money you will make 
Now, when I say less emotional, it doesn't mean that you stop enjoying it or you or don't you have don't fun you, yeah. or you don't care. It just means you make decisions based upon the facts rather than the emotions. Mm. And you're right, when you get too close to your staff and someone stops performing, and typically they stop performing because they're too close to you and they feel that they, their job is safe and um, you know, Rob won't, won't fire me because you know, we spend a lot of social time together. And I've, I've had this as well. Um, and then when you come to fire that person because you... Well, first of all, you, you wait too long. You wait six months longer than you should do yeah. uh, because you, you feel as though they'll be okay, that it's a good guy, he'll turn it around, he'll be all right, just going through a rough period at home, whatever it might be. And then eventually you realise that actually it's a, it's, it's a no-go scenario and you have to fire them. They then feel incredibly aggrieved yeah. and start to, to take it, they take it far more personally as well. Yeah. So the less emotional you are about it, ultimately the more successful you'll be. All right, so now let's get into this, a bit about your story. Uh, so, um, how many businesses have you sold? Um, sold, um, I've sold, um, I've had three exits, um, but the exits have typically been a group of businesses. So, I've, I've effectively, I've bought and sold 16. Right. So, the 16 are, um, uh, so, so I, I've, I've, I've rolled, it's called a roll-up. Yeah. So, I've rolled up businesses. So, I rolled up businesses in Marcoms, marketing communications. Yeah. Um, I've rolled up businesses in education, training and education. So, I've, I've taken, uh, so again, just to make that very clear, I've taken several different business, uh, several businesses in the same sector and put them together to make one entity. Right. So, the three exits actually disguise all the work that's gone on behind the scenes. Uh, and what is there a reason why you roll them up into sort of groups? Of- yeah, it's, it's, it's acquisition, acquisition, uh, growth by acquisition is the fastest way to, to, to grow. Right. I mean, it can take you years and years and years to get to, um, you know, for, a, for an early stage business, to get to a million pounds of sales. Yeah. Um, or you can go and, go and find a business that does a million pounds worth of sales, meet them on Monday and own them on Friday. Right. And, and I've done that. I've, I've met a business on a Monday afternoon, and I've owned them Friday afternoon. Wow. And th- the one I'm thinking of in particular actually did have a million pounds worth of sales. Yeah. You know, we had more than that at the time, but you know, to grow by a million pounds worth of sales yeah, is hard when you start to, you know, there's, 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 um, you know, the market matures and you can't achieve the 50% year-on-year growth. So the only way to do it at that rapid rate is via acquisition. Yeah, which was the light bulb I got. You know, why do we want to keep pushing, 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 pushing? Yeah. Um, so our best year was 19 million in booked business. So turnover is normally about 60% of booked business, something like that. Uh, uh, so, you know, to grow to 23, 24 million, in fact, the year after that, we dropped a little bit. It's a lot of extra work. I only have to go and, and buy, people. yeah. So if I buy one company that's doing 5 million or two or three companies that are doing 2 million each, hopefully with your mentorship and guidance, I achieve the same thing with like, well, much less work. Absolutely. Much less work. You'll acquire some great people along with it. You'll yeah. get some not so great people as of well. Course. But you'll get but some you great can, managers. And you can cross-purpose absolutely. the skills. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You, 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 you may... I mean, I was looking at... Um, I didn't... Uh, uh, I didn't pull the deal off as it, as it happens, but I was looking at a, a great telesales um, business that specialised in B2B. Right. And the, the thought process was behind it was that every B2B business that I buy probably has a rather lacklustre sales team. Well, I've got the sales team ready-made. Mm. So um, I, I think I probably um, 
uh, I was looking for too good a deal on that one right. and it ended yeah. up being bought from the private equity firm by the managing director. Yeah. Um, but the door's still open. Right. And this is also the thing. Once you've got the system for a business, you've got the system for another business or any business, haven't you? The, the architecture yeah. of running a business, you could use like a blueprint. I mean, I know different sectors are different, but yeah. like a basic operational bl blueprint, you could turn over a business, take t put it into a business that is failing and turn it around. Yeah, so, so you could, it could be failing because it misses one part of that blueprint, which yeah. you have elsewhere. So it could be the sales team, it could be the marketing team, um, it could be culture, uh, culture yeah. uh, customer service, um, some sort of quality control process, whatever, whatever it might be, yeah. you might have that missing part of the blueprint in, in another one of your, your businesses in your portfolio. Yeah. So you've acquired and rolled up 16 businesses and you've had three exits. Are you allowed to say what those exits were in terms of the amount of money you received? Yeah, the, 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 the first, as I said, was, was, a, was more modest, but still sort of pretty, pretty, pretty damn good. It was more money than I ever made from running the business. Yeah, but six figures when you're 27 years old. I mean, that could be five or ten salaries. Yeah, and this was a long time ago as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not for, so that's, that's like not, 14 that's not, million with inflation. Let's not forget, it, was, yeah. it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, and the, the others have been multi-millions. Yeah. So um, I, I'm only, for me personally, and the people that I mentor and, 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 and coach and help, yeah. um, you know, I, I always say, get your first deal under your belt as quickly as possible. It doesn't really matter on the size. Don't worry about the size. Let's just do the deal. Mm. So you go through the process. A little bit like, um, what's it like? It's like um, if you um, have never dived into a swimming pool before, um, then you dive just off the edge, first yeah. of all. Then you go up to the first diving board. Mm. You don't go straight to the, no. to the diving board at the, the highest level. So don't look for a multi-million revenue business for the very first deal. Don't look for a multi-million pound exit on the very first deal. Just do the deal, yeah. go through the process, learn the ropes, and then you'll start to realize what deals look like. Now, the thing is when we, you know, when we do the, 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 the stuff that we do, the training, you know, the, there are so many different ways of doing deals. I mean, yeah. there are so many different deal structures. You never run out of things to talk about. Yeah. Um, but just get the first deal under, under your belt. Uh, but now all I'm looking for is the multi-million pound ones. Um, we're looking they at- they have to um, be local? Oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where they are. I mean, I, you know, apart from at the moment, I'm just thinking UK. I'm going to be doing this in North America and in Australia later in the year, in, in this year. Yeah. Um, so I'll be doing things over there. But at the moment, just just UK UK based. It doesn't have to be local, as in the town or the city. No, no, no. Room. We're doing a um, we're doing a roll up in one particular sector at the moment over the next 12 to 18 months that will then lead to an AIM listing right. that will release. Um, because you know, when you're raising money on, on the, in the open markets and the public markets, you're looking for, um, you're, you're, you, you've got to be in the tens of millions. Yeah. Um, you've got to start off at sort of 30 million. Otherwise, no one's interested. You're too, yeah. you're too small to, to raise, raise money. And the way to get that size is to roll up lots of smaller companies. Yeah, yeah. So, so first of all, you do your roll up. It's proof of concept. Uh, and then you, then you, you get the, the funding to grow rapidly. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the liquidity because you can, you can sell shares. Yeah. Okay, so I've got loads of questions I want to ask yeah, you. Yeah, I've jumped around a little bit I, there, all right. I we I tend to do that. So I want to just get an objection out of the way first, and I want to hear your side on this, because um, I have thought, and I know some people have said, is this a little bit cold? You know, are you slicing and dicing companies? You know, okay. you're dealing with people's livelihoods. You take over a business, you get rid of all that, you get rid of that, all those stuff get rid of. You know, and I'm sure some people do do it more um, unscrupulously than others. I want, just want to know your take on that. Okay, I'm saving people's jobs. Yeah. I'm going into businesses that would have, that are, in some cases, weeks away from closure. They should have closed 
weeks ago, in fact. Mm. So I'm actually saving jobs. Right. Now, in the process of saving jobs, yeah, you've got to trim back sometimes. Quite often it's because the business owner hasn't done the things that they should have done, yeah. that a responsible business owner hasn't done, and I've now got to take the responsibility for doing the things yes. that they should have done. So, um, you know, they, they've let um, let Marjorie and accounts be there for years, but she keeps getting payroll wrong, and really any other business would have fired her years ago. But they can't because there's a it's the cousin of their brother-in-law or whatever. So I... So I I don't have that. You know, I just realised that Marjorie and accounts. I'm sorry, Marjorie, but there's no longer a place for you here. And, and what about if people don't like that side of business? You know, they don't want to be involved in firing people. Oh well, I I, I made seventy something people redundant in a business last year, um, and I didn't do it. I mean, I'm not going to sit there and right, so have seventy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to have. I haven't got the time to have seventy conversations, produce seventy letters, get seventy signatures, and shake seventy hands. You know, I I do a sort of a, a group announcement that we're going to be going through a redundancy process, but we're going to make it clean. We're going to make it painless. Everyone's going to be paid every penny that they're owed. No one's going to be diddled. No one's going to be leave this sort of feeling raw. Um, apart from the sort of the natural, and we're, and we're going to help you. You know, we're going to put you in touch with recruitment people, and we're going to help you find new new jobs. It's not their fault. No. Um, it's not their fault that the business was operated ineffectively. It's not my fault that the business was operated ineffectively, and I'm saving the jobs of the people who are going to remain. I've got a great what I call a deal team, and my um, my HR lady comes in. She does the whole process with the manager who's going to be running the business on a day to day basis. Um, and incidentally, with those seventy redundancies, you might think, well. Yeah, I, you know, you've had staff issues before. Um, there's always someone who sort of, um, usually it's the, 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 the quiet one who creates the, uh, the, the issues mm. afterwards and sort of feels they have some claim against the company. We only had one claim. Mm. Um, and the claim was, uh, was a phone call. And I didn't take the phone call. This, was, this conversation was re- relayed to me. And um, uh, it was wh- whatever the name was. And uh, he, he, we said, well, we don't know who you are because you're not on the staff list. We don't have, we, right. who are you? We, we don't have you on payroll. Mm. And he said, well, I haven't started working there yet. <laughs> I said, well, look, to be fair, we are actually reducing the headcount. We're not increasing it. So thank you very much for coming in for the interview. But, um, but the job isn't there that you were interviewed for. Mm. And he said, well, I've got a contract. I said, well, look, just tear, you know, they said, just tear it up. You know, you know, it's, it's not relevant anymore. Um, and he said, well, no, the contract's signed. And he went to ACAS because he had a signed contract right. for a job he hadn't even done one day of yet. <laughs> we had to pay him off one yeah. one week salary. Right. But that was the so if it's done properly and professionally, you don't you don't get the um, yeah. the negative stuff that people think that you might get. Right. You know, I think there's lessons in here in running your existing business and doing you know deals and, and new businesses because I have seen so many times people in positions that are demotivated, that have in their head moved on. You know, maybe the culture's changed because we've had different growth spurts where the culture's changed. You know, when you have yes. five people and you're all friends, and then when you have 20 people and you're getting an MD and they can't come in your yeah. so, so, so office anymore. So, at the anymore. beginning, there's no processes. Yeah. It's, 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 it's chaos. It's not even organised chaos. It's just chaos. And then you try and put some organisation in. Some people don't like that. Yeah, they, they push don't. back on that. Yeah. And, and so, I've, in nearly all the cases when people, it's been the right time to move on, it's actually been better for them. And often you think, oh, someone going in, Jonathan the hatchet, hatchet in them all, getting rid of them. But actually, a lot of people, it is the best thing for them to move on. Most people who leave, 
It's the right, the right thing. Otherwise, because yeah. if it wasn't right for them to leave, they'd be motivated in the job. So let, let's say that with these 70 redundancies, we had to make in one go, which is through a consultancy period. We followed it all by the book. I mean, everyone had access. Um, they all potentially had access to me. It wasn't yeah. difficult to find out my email address. I didn't get one issue. I didn't get one person sounding off at me mm. um, be- because, you know what? It was either right for them yeah. or... Um, they, they were gaming it a bit. Knew yeah. well, yeah. One guy sent an email around the office saying, "I don't believe I've um, what was the word he used? He said, I 'I don't, I don't believe I've uh, I've gotten away with it' or something like yeah, that. I don't yeah. believe I've gotten away with it for so long. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've basically I've, I've fudged it for several years that he'd been there, mm. um, and they kind of knew the game was up. Um, and also, they knew that the business was overstaffed. And you have a responsibility to the shareholders if there are any, but of course, all the customers. You have a responsibility. And if, you got, if you can't run a solvent business, you, 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 you look, the, the customer yeah. all the money. So, so actually, it was wonderful because we, we kept the best people and we got rid of the people who weren't responding to emails, which annoys customers no end. Yeah, they don't get a response yeah. the same day or the next day. Yeah, it's like the, the world's caving in. Mm. Um, and uh, we, we, so, we, solved, we solved all those problems as well. We improved the business. Yeah. Now, also, I guess, because in property, uh, essentially, the more dirty and awful and dilapidated is it inside as long as it's structurally sound the better deal you get and is it like this with businesses yes, it is that's a, actually a, a good analogy that i hadn't made before yeah, yeah that's it um, it's the sort of the um the smelly house syndrome yeah um yeah it's, 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 it's why a, you're not going to get it cheap otherwise you're going to pay full value well, for it otherwise. this this is the thing i know you know we both know uh, Gerald Ratner mm. and uh, you know, he was speaking at one of your events as I yeah. was just recently and we, we were chatting on the on the stairs and uh, yeah he, he, he's, he said well the wonderful thing about buying a distressed business is that you can afford businesses you'd never be able to afford otherwise yeah and I thought that was a very smart thing to say because yes. that's absolutely true you can afford businesses that you'd never would be able to afford if they were successful yeah. now the for example a, a one business that um we, we took quite a, a long way down the path but we didn't do the deal in the end was a, was a 20 million revenue um uh, commercial cleaning business yeah and it was very interesting because we um I'd actually met someone who owned who owns a commercial cleaning business just a few weeks before. So it's a lovely coincidence. Mm. And I thought, well, I can buy this off the administrators and I can sell it straight over to, to this other guy almost immediately because it's 20 million pounds worth of NHS contracts, um, mm. you know, library cleaning, uh, although there's not many libraries these days I know, but you know, nurseries, you know, that, that type of clean, commercial cleaning offices, commercial cleaning contracts. And um, we were offering a, um, a very, very small amount of money that we would then pay over 12 months. And it got to the point where it was going backwards and forwards with the administrator and we thought, you know, this, this deal's in the, in the bank. And we were clearly pipped at the post by, by, by someone else. Yeah. Um, but it was, uh, it was in, you know, how, first of all, how long would it take you to build a 20 million pound commercial cleaning business to get all those, those local authority and government contracts? It would take a long time, right? Mm. Um, secondly, how long would it take you to recruit um, and train the 6,000 cleaning staff that were employed? A long time. Yeah. And when I look at a, a business's accounts and I see millions of pounds of administrative expenses, yeah. I know that these days with technology, with apps, with tracking of expense accounts via someone's app on their phone and um, you don't need the administrative staff that you might have needed f- even five years ago right. but definitely 10 years ago 20 years ago so I'm thinking okay 
turning over 20 million. It's not making much of a profit. I think it was making like 20,000 pounds profit. Come on, Mm. there's a couple of million of profit in there somewhere. There's 10% in there somewhere. And you know what? I'm like a dog with a bone. I can find that uh, that 10%. I can find that two million pounds of of profit. It's in there somewhere. It's probably in the administrative costs. It's probably lousy, lousy, lazy management that I would identify as lousy and lazy after one meeting with them get rid of a layer of management. It's like people say that about the NHS, don't they? So if you, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's the management that are causing the problems, you know, yeah. the ineffective management. Get rid of a la- some layers of management, maybe put a, a few of my own guys in that I trust that are gonna say to me, look, Jonathan, you know, these people are a waste of space, you get rid of them. Doesn't affect the people on the ground doing the work, they just carry on doing the commercial cleaning, doing the cleaning every night when the office closes. Um, but we, we could restructure it and, uh, and create something really, really good. And that's what I'm looking for all the time. So if I bought a 20 million pound revenue um, commercial cleaning company that was already making 2 million EBITDA, what would I be paying for it? I'd be paying 10 million, yeah. 12 million, 14 million. I don't want to do that. I'm going to buy it for practically nothing. I'm willing to put in the effort, or rather my deal team is willing to put in the effort. Who pays them? Well, the company that we've just bought, not me, mm. the company that we just bought. Yeah. And we end up with the 2 million. What do we sell it for? We sell it for 10, 12, 14 million. Yeah. And this is going back to the house analogy. If it's not dilapidated inside, there's no uplift value. You know, exactly. So if you buy it, you're, you're, full market value. Yeah, there's not. You've there's, got no there's, uplift growth. No, you just hope that there'll be an increase in, in uh, capital or just really increase. slow growth. You, you yeah. just you just hope that's going to happen, and you hope because the economy and the housing market is going to improve. But if you buy below market value, you can you can make money on day one. I mean, you mentioned assets. We, I think you. I don't think you said asset stripping, but you said, you know, is this this Slice cold and ca- dice. Slice yeah. and dice, yeah, which is <laughs> this asset stripping thing that people were really concerned about because, you know, it was, it was very much in the 80s and 90s people would, would asset strip. Let me give you the property analogy for that, okay? Yeah. You buy a, uh, and I was looking at a business that had a property attached to, to it, um, and this property, it was, a, it was actually a day nursery, a children's day nursery. So there was a day nursery, there was a four bedroom house, and there was a three bed flat in this very unusually constructed building. But essentially, it was, there was three parts, uh, three parts to it. Now, what a, 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 someone with a knowledge of property might do is they might do a title split, and then they'd say, well, we can sell the house to get cash on day one. We can rent out the flat to get an income from day one. And we keep the nursery part as a separate as a separate um, uh, leasehold or, or separate freehold. And we, um, rent, uh, we rent that back to ourselves and we have an operating business in there. Mm. So, so that, is that a negative thing? Actually, that's a really clever thing. Yeah. But that's the thing that people say, well, with businesses, how does that work? Well, that's what we've just done. You know, we, that, that is, that's being sold as a business that has a property, but we're now we're just dividing up the assets. Um, bought a business where um, we had a, um, an excess of Apple Macs, and there is a value to an Apple Mac. Mm. You know, obviously it decreases as the Apple Mac gets older, but yeah. the value to the Apple Macs. So we had a guy come round, do a valuation of the of the Apple Macs, look at the serial numbers, uh, and he said £40,000. Yeah. So we transferred the £40,000 into our account. We said, yep, it's received. You can load your van up. Thank you very much. So you can make money on day one when you buy a business. Now, we took the assets, 
or some of the assets and we sold them. Yeah. But we didn't need them. What's the point? What, are you going to keep them in the cupboard? Yeah. Depreciating? No, you're going to sell them. Mm. It's just common sense. Yeah. Right. So you've got this model. Find, fund, fix, flip. Yes. So can we spend a few minutes on each one? Talking about each one, and let's get, get let's get granular on this. Okay. So how do and you stop f- me if I if, if if you feel I need to go into more detail? No problem. On no problem. I've done a few interviews. I will I quite happily do that. So how do you find distressed? How do you find this type of business where you can uplift the value? You know where there's latent potential, but you can get it cheap, maybe even free. How do you find it? Okay. Three methods. Yeah. The first is I talk to people. So um, I talk to people who then talk to other people. And because I'm typically the only person who's having this type of conversation, uh, word gets around. So I get people call me um, and say, I hear that you're uh, looking at buying businesses. And that works? Absolutely. Okay, so can I I just stop you there? Yes. We're looking for letting agencies. Okay. And we're looking for online and physical events businesses. Not wedding planning type businesses, but we're looking for sort of... You know, training business like pop property and all that kind of stuff. Understood. Yeah. Now, because you've said that to me, that's now activated yeah. my memory on those areas. Hopefully 1.4 million other people as and, well. And I, and I know in, in, um, in our Facebook group, there was someone talking about letting agencies two or three days ago. Yeah. I can't remember whether he was buying or whether he's selling. So immediately I'm thinking that's someone you should be Good. speaking to. There's a connection. Yeah. Um, you never know because he might be buying letting agencies but he finds one that isn't in the right part of the country, but it's perfect for you. Yeah. So talking to people, just having a conversation like this, immediately there's a lead that I can think of off the top of my head. Okay, great. Well, if anyone has got, knows anyone in the UK, um, message I, me on Facebook. Well, I, well, I do it with nurseries. I'm, I'm, at every public event that I speak at, I say that I'm interested in day nurseries. And I have in my uh, inbox this morning, two people saying, um, these are day nurseries. And one other person saying, I know of one. Would you like me to contact them to see if they're still interested in selling? Yeah. So talking to people is number one. Number two yeah. um, is social media. So um, uh, I don't use social media as much as I do. I use LinkedIn more than Facebook. Um, but I would put a post on LinkedIn um, saying I'm interested in buying businesses. Maybe I'm very specific. So maybe I'm saying a specific type of business or I'm more general. Um, And typically the responses back to me aren't from my first level contacts. They're from my second level contacts, which I always think is an interesting observation. I don't know enough about LinkedIn to tell me what that means, um, but it's just something that I've noticed. So social media is number two. um, And I always uh, insist that our deal makers open up a LinkedIn account if they don't have one, change their LinkedIn profile and use LinkedIn to source deals. I need to just say how I think LinkedIn is just really up their game. So I did a post two days ago. It got 70,000 views in a day. I did one uh, podcast and video and then repurposed it into LinkedIn and it was called All This 5am Club Bollocks and it was basically about you don't, you're not a loser if you don't get up at 5am uh, and it got 300,000 views. And incredible. that same thing would get 20,000 views on um, Facebook. That, that is incredible. It's, it, I don't know where this has come from. I've only got like 15,000 connections. It's not like I'm like 
you know, LinkedIn's world top influencers. Something is going on in LinkedIn which is working really well. I'm really up in my game. And, and, on and, that. Be- and because it's it's more business related yes. than Facebook, we it's can a great cut place all to the fluff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you can you can post can a business post. Yeah. And and absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so you're reaching your market faster. Yeah. And if you if you post something salesy on Facebook, oh, you're selling to me. Whereas we're in the business of selling on LinkedIn. Yeah. Aren't we? And it could actually be the same person who's on LinkedIn, but if they see the post on LinkedIn, it's okay. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> which is a the bit same odd. post on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the but same yeah, person just, reads it, and they have a different response depending on where they read yeah. it. But I've just been blown away by the reach and the comments, and the, um, yeah. So I'm going to start doing this as well. So I'm going to start posting on LinkedIn. And then the third way. Third one is uh, good old good old fashioned direct mail. Yeah. Um, what we we call seller letters. Yeah. So. Um, uh, so I have a, a letter template that I use. So it's really the same letter each time. I just change the details uh, according to the sector or um, the contact details in some cases. Are the responses going to come back to me? Are they going to go to a virtual assistant? Who, you know, where, are they, where are the responses going to go? Don't have a letterhead, just on plain A4 photocopier paper. I get my local mailboxes, etc., to um, to photocopy it if it's a small amount, or I send it to a mailing house, a direct mail house, and I get them to do it. And uh, I send out um, uh, maybe a thousand letters at a time, depend, depending on how, if, if it's a, a thousand letters, if the response is coming direct to me. You're really making me want to do this, um, Jonathan. But if, I, but, but if I want to sort of go big with something that I've tested and I know it works, I do 10,000 letters, go back to a VA, back to a landing page, fill in the form, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and really what I'm saying is, is that I'm interested in your sector. I'm a private investor. That's really important. I'm not a corporate. Yeah. Um, because if it's a corporate, the pound signs start flickering in people's eyes um, or they're completely turned off yeah. because they can sell to you. If they sell to a corporate, they are selling out. Right. So selling to you is positive. Selling out has negative connotations. Yeah. So um, they're, they're responding to you. I often tell uh, them my motivation. So a little bit of backstory. You know, why am I? Why am I writing to them? Why am I interested in this sector? Um, and uh, I ask them to contact me. Um, interestingly, and the last time I did this in a big way was uh, was before Christmas. So what? That's two, two months ago. Yeah, no, no, like November time. Yeah. Um, but the, on New Year's Day. I got three responses to the letter. Now, they hadn't just opened the letter on New Year's Day. No, no. New Year's Day, New Year's resolutions, yeah. saying to their partner, should we dispose of the business? Dispose is a great, better word than sell, by the way. Should we dispose right. of the business? When someone uses the word dispose, you know that they just want to get out. Yeah. So um, they write, uh, they respond to my letter. Um, I then go through a process uh, to establish whether they are a good prospect or not. And then I proceed from there. Yeah, okay. Um, couple of things that this led me on. One is just a random thing. I was looking at my KPIs. So I was reading the marketing report last night. And um, we had one page that got 75 registrations. I can't remember the top line number of people that landed on the page. Let's say 300. Unbranded. We had another page, 25 registrations. So you branded as progressive. Oh, I see. So you know you said unbranded letters. We all think brand, brand, brand. But actually... If we send out a branded letter, we can make a judgment. So it's just interesting. I remember reading that thinking, you know, often the uglier, uh, more sort of, yeah, just less professional People make a judgment, they make a decision. And also because they know who it is that sent them the letter, they can say, I can respond later because I know who it is. It's XYZ company. Where if they don't know who who it is, they basically say, I've got the piece of paper in my hand. I'll email them now. Mm. I'll actually use a Gmail address. Yeah. 
and, right. a, and, a, and, a, and a mobile number. Yeah. You, know? you don't have to have an office. So you're not overcomplicating. You can, you can be yeah. a deal maker. You can buy and sell businesses. You don't need an office yeah. because you can use the office of the businesses that you buy. Right, so yeah. you can go and sort of have a table, a desk in their office. Um, or I just pay £50 a month to the Institute of Directors and I go in at nine o'clock in the morning when it's quiet um, and I have a breakfast meeting with someone, with, have a cup of tea with them. Um, and for £50 a month, I can use all their, their facilities in, yeah. the, in, in Pall Mall. Right, there you go. So do you not use brokers or are there not websites right. or magazines or listings? The, the only of... hate mail I get is from, <laughs> is from brokers because I'm not a big fan of brokers and I don't think you've heard my recording. Um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll play it for you yeah. one day. I have a recording of a mystery shop that a colleague of mine did on a broker who was selling a business of mine. I paid the broker £45,000 up front. This was a, a boutique corporate finance house rather than a broker who's a little bit at the lower end of the market. <laughs> boutique corporate finance house. It's the same thing. They've just got nicer offices in central London. Rah, 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 rah. paid for by your fees. Well, exactly. <laughs> so I'd paid 45000 plus VAT up front for this uh, service. And I thought, something's got not quite right here because we're not getting, I knew that we were getting the responses because I'd help them with their marketing, but we weren't booking in the face-to-face -face, uh, you know, meetings. So I thought something's going wrong on the phone. So I got uh, a friend of mine to Mystery Shop uh, and he recorded it on an app on his phone so he could send it to me and say, look, this is what you're getting for 45,000. It was the most appalling salesmanship. You, well, there wasn't any salesmanship. It was basically like the estate agent who says, this is the kitchen and then just stands there. <laughs> this is the bathroom. Oh, thank you. Is this the bathroom? I've never seen a bathroom before. And really, is this a shower and you have an extractor fan? Well done. You have an extractor fan in your bathroom. Um, that, you know, those appalling estate agents, it's the same thing in, in business as well. And um, they're, they're absolutely terrible. Now, right. the problem with going to a broker is that uh, if you go to a broker and say, I want to buy a business, um, they will see the pound signs. Um, and they will. Um, they have already influenced the seller by giving the seller a false expectation of the value. Again, drawing the property parallel, um, you get three valuations on a property, two are about the same, the third is 100,000 more. And you're thinking, hang on, this can't be right, but... But the seller wants to hear that. But the seller wants yeah. to hear it, so they go with the one that's 100,000 more. Six months later, they're back on the market at the more sensible valuation the two other agents got. Yeah. So the business broker inflates value. And secondly, they play the game of um, there's three other people interested. Yeah. And we know that that's difficult. My advice to people getting into buying and selling businesses is if the if there is a broker involved and the broker does start playing the game of there's someone else interested, I say, great. If they drop out, get in touch with me. Yeah. And, they, and the broker then comes off the phone, says to their manager, oh, I, just, I think I just shot myself in the foot there because he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't take the bait. And he didn't say, oh, right, well, I better get in there quickly. He said to me, um, I'll come back later if the other person drops out. Now, of course, you're in a far stronger negotiating position. When that broker phones you in three days' time, you know that you're the only party. Yeah. Right. Uh, are there any websites or sort of publications? Oh, there's loads. Yeah, yeah. there's loads. Um, any that you use? Not that I would necess necessarily recommend. Yeah. No, there's lot. There's lots out there. Um, the the whole the, the whole problem around valuation is the business owner starts off thinking it's up here. Yeah. You start off thinking it's down here, and you meet roundabout down here. Yeah. Um, because valuation 
typically, unless someone's got really, really good figures, is, is, is hard to establish. The fact they've worked at the business for 10 years and, it, and everyone loves the product or service, that doesn't really influence valuation. Yeah. Their effort doesn't influence valuation, which is why I say to business owners, if you're working in a business that you feel that every year is going to be better than the next year, but it isn't, maybe it's time to sell and start trading businesses and buying and selling businesses right. rather than being an operator. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm with you. That's great. Um, also, another analogy to properties, very often the best deals you get, not necessarily the highest volume, but the best, is when you go what we call direct to the vendor. So you write a little handlit and leaflet, you go to the yes, door. Yes, absolutely. And, and they're not in any with any broker, in any website. They, they want they've discretion. Thought, they've thought about yeah. it. Yeah. I always say absolutely everything's going to be treated with complete yeah. confidence. Um, I will send you a non-disclosure agreement. So we have a template non-disclosure that we send to people. So it's all ready to go. And um, uh, But... but what you're trying to find are the people who haven't yet got to the point of appointing the broker or the agent, um, and uh, but but it's in their mind. It's in their mind is something they've been thinking about, and they phone you out of curiosity. Yeah. Okay, great. So let's move on to the next F. Fund. Uh, the fifth F is food because we're having dinner after yeah. this. <laughs> so, all right. So fund. How do we fund businesses? You know. Let's go, and can we do it without our own money? Yes, absolutely. You should not be spending your own money. If you're, uh, if you think that you need lots of money in the bank to do this, um, no, you don't. Uh, if you think you need a perfect credit credit score, no, you don't. If you think that you need to go to your bank, banks hate funding business acquisitions unless you're at a certain level with a certain track record. Mm -hmm. Don't do it because they'll want a second charge in your property and a personal guarantee. Yeah. You don't do it. I never let anyone sign a personal guarantee. Um, you don't need to do, if a deal requires a personal guarantee, don't do it. Do yeah. another deal. There's plenty okay. out there. So um, I always want to structure a deal where the seller is paid on what is called deferred consideration. So consideration is the, 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 the jargon for the payment that the, um, that the seller receives. Um, and you have your, um, your consideration might be split into uh, initial consideration or upfront consideration uh, and then deferred consideration. So it's paid over a period of time. Yeah. So the best deal structure is, um, is, a is, you, is the funding is deferred over 12, 24, 36, 60 months even. Right. Where does that money come from? It doesn't come from your own pocket. It comes from the cash flow of the business. So your initial due diligence around the finances ensures that the company has sufficient um, revenue to pay the seller their deferred consideration over the agreed period, 12, 24, 36, 60 months. Yeah, and uh, is that the main way you structure all your deals? Are there yes. any other structures? Yeah, I mean, you can finance against assets. So let's say, um, and I have an amazing um, finance broker. So uh, let's say the company has assets in terms of um, they have some technical equipment or some lathes or a forklift truck, yeah. or they have um, uh, you know, some equipment or machinery. Yeah. Their manufacturing businesses are great for this. And let's say there's a little bit of finance left on it. Um, then they would refinance it. So you pull so, equity out of assets. So you pull equity out. Now, you've got, you've got a choice with what you do with that money. So with that money, so let's say you've got £100,000 worth of value of equipment. There's £20,000 worth of, of, of finance remaining on it. You refinance to 80000 You pay off the old finance. You've got 60000 left in the middle. You've got £60,000 that you didn't have. Now, the 
cash flow of the business has to support the repayments yeah. on that refinance. But of course, the finance company isn't going to give you the finance unless that's the case. Mm. So don't worry about overstretching yourself. I'd never let anyone do that. So you've got £60,000. You've got several choices. That could form part of the consideration. That could form part of the payment to do the deal. So you've got all the finance sorted. The finance occurs simultaneously with the closing of the deal. So on completion, the finance is released, transferred via the lawyers, a little bit like a mortgage, transferred via the lawyers to the the seller. Alternatively, you use that cash as working capital. So it's to do the marketing that the business could never do in order to lift it up to the next level. Or it's yours. It's what's called a deal fee. Right. A deal fee is what private equity people pay themselves for the months of negotiation, backs and forwards, emails, phone calls, meetings, which of course you don't get paid for. That's, yeah. that's just your time. And you get a deal fee. So one deal that I was doing while I was selling to private equity, they'd structured into the finance um, £600,000 worth of deal fees. Right. And that was their money. Yeah. So that, that was their that was their bonus for doing the deal. So you can pay yourself a bonus for doing the deal. So you can make money when you buy the business, not just when you sell it. So you can make money when you buy, when you run it, and when you sell it. And how do you get a, a vendor of a business, an owner of a business, to agree to that? Great question. I'll sit my tea. Hey, please it's a great do. question. Let me tell you why. Let's say, Rob, you're the frustrated business owner. Um, let's say it's New Year's Day, um, you've dug my letter out of your desk drawer, yeah. you hate your business, you've been talking to your partner, and you promise that this is the year you're going to walk away. You've had enough more from it. You've put money in in previous years, you've kind of got the money back, it's been washing its face, it's not exciting, you hate the staff, the staff hate you, you've just had enough and you want out. My letter arrives. You've saved it or it's just arrived on the on the mat that morning. My letter is your exit. You're curious. You're, you're intrigued because a private investor implies that I can move quickly. I'm not a large corporate that moves slowly. You send me a text saying that you received my letter. I call you back. I have a conversation. We then um, establish, I establish certain facts about the business. I then come along, I meet you, I maybe have a little bit of a look around the business. There's a whole process to this. There's almost like, a, it's like a scripted process. We look around the business, we have a conversation, and I tell you that I'm not Richard Branson. And um, the days of people just writing large checks are over. By the way, what do the finances look like? Because I've had a look, and you know, from what I can see, we're not talking about the company isn't making very much money. Is that the case? Okay, so we uh, reach a valuation and there's ways of doing this. Usually it's plucking a figure out, out of the air on behalf of the, um, if the owner values it. And you, you reach a, a, an agreement about what the valuation is. So you've got a number. Yeah. And you say, look, um, if you want to do a deal quickly, and I, when I say quickly, I mean like in the next two weeks, which means that you're released from all this stress. I take over all the issues, all the problems, then um, there's no way that we can go out and raise the money and get bank loans for that sort of cash. Yeah. On, we can't do it. But what we can do is we can pay you a sum of money every month for the next three years. Now, you told me, Rob, that you would love to spend some time in Barbados and maybe even move out there. Well, just imagine you're on the beach, you check your online banking on your phone, and you see every single month a sum of money appear in that bank account, and you don't have to do a thing for it for the next 
three years. Would that finance your lifestyle? Yes. Would that make you feel good? Yes. Would you sleep better at night? Yes. Would you have any stress? No. You know. So, so your focus is taking the pain away from the. And you seller. get paid every month. Yeah. For doing nothing. You don't have to go to the office ever again. You know what? You don't even have to go to explain to the staff what's happened. One of my guys would do that. And we'll look after them, don't worry. We'll keep your name above You're the door. You're a good salesman, we'll, Jonathan. We'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep your name above the door. We won't get rid of your brand. We might make changes in the future. Can't promise you what's around the corner, but immediately, no, don't worry. You know what? People won't even know that you've sold the business unless you want them to. Yeah. Doesn't okay. that sound appealing? Yeah. It sounds good. You can see why a business owner would say, you know what, Jonathan? It, it's not as good as walking away with a huge check but you know what? If I can't get that, this is the next best alternative. Yeah, and the thing that you offer in exchange, because everything has to be equitable, so in exchange, you're offering discretion, important. Yes. You're offering, you know, maybe them to keep their importance around the business, and you're offering speed, and you're not a corporate. So you actually are offering a lot of benefits, which weigh up the Absolutely. fact Absolutely. You- um, we bring them in on a consultancy agreement. So if we need them, we'll pay them for consultancy. Yeah. So they can still be a consultant to the business. Right. So the, the ties aren't uh, severed overnight. And I guess those which, things could be negotiated so the, out. Yeah, and th- so the emotional thing, they want, don't want the stress, but in some ways they don't want to let go of their baby. Yeah. So we want to sort of, we want to have that halfway house consultancy agreement solves that. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so let's move on to fix. How do you fix them? Couple of ways of doing this: um, you increase sales and you decrease costs. Um, <laughs> surprise, surprise. So yeah. increase sales. Most businesses don't do any marketing. I've got a marketing guy in, on my deal team. Bring him him in. Say, fix the marketing. You know, in in some industries um, that are sort of you know the the the, the, the very unsophisticated industries, um, they don't even have a website that works no, properly. Very old school. They are absolutely. Yeah. So they, they put a website together ten years ago. It's never changed. And it's got sort of out of date dates on it, for yeah. example. So yeah. we, we get, we, those things are really quick and cheap and easy to fix. So we improve their online presence, which doesn't cost, cost a lot of money. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is that we take out uh, all the costs that are unnecessary um, and uh, we reduce expenditure on the thing. We just apply common sense. Yeah. We just say, you know, why, um, you know, you're an online business. Why are you going to meet clients? What if the clients came to us instead? I bet they'd love to see the office and to meet the team. Yeah. Let's then stop all those day, away days from the office where people go off to see the see clients, which are kind of excuse for jollies, yeah. um, and bring people to the office instead. So we, we start to reverse all the, the silly expenditure. We just apply common sense. And quite often what happens is that the business owner has been putting a lot of personal expenditure this through the business. This is not going to be my next question. What if they're running a lifestyle okay. business? But, and they've forgotten that the business is paying the personal expenditure. So they've forgotten that actually the business pays their mobile phone, pays their, um, well, pays just about everything yeah. probably. Uh, they've forgotten it because they've been doing it for so long. They've treated it as normal. But of course, all that expenditure automatically stops. It naturally stops. And, and if they haven't cancelled their mobile phone contract or whatever, then you have a word and you say, look, yeah, it's still coming out of the bank account. We need to take that £100 for your mobile phone bill off of next month's deferred consideration payment. Right. So you, you have right of offset if there's... Yeah. And I bet there's loads of things that business owners have... Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, the business, if you didn't put that personal expenditure through, is making a profit. Yes. So let's say they're putting through 100000 of personal expenditure. Well... Now you've got £100,000 of profit 
Which is and the equivalent of £200,000 of turnover because of all of the expenses that yeah, come yeah. off. £1 on the bottom line worth 2 or £3 Absol- on the top absolutely. line. Absolutely. So where's that £100,000 go to now? Goes to you. You're yeah. the new owner. Yeah. You get it, not the exiting owner. Yeah. And then flipping them. How do you flip them? Well, it's the selling. I mean, you know, I, I hear people talking about sort of buying businesses. They never talk about selling them because they never sold any. Mm. <laughs> they bought them and they never sold them. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I've had some really successful exits and, and I've done exits with private equity and I've done trade exits as well. So, so can I've, you tell us about those and what the difference is? Uh, well, the difference is the private equity exits are all about the money. That's really all. So you're selling to a, a firm of professional business buyers. Yeah. yeah. And, and they're tough negotiators because they, um, they only work off the figures. Yeah. And it's really hard to argue with the figures, mm. okay? Mm. Where the trade buyer, uh, it's more of an emotional purchase. And what's a trade buyer? So a trade buyer would be um, another company. So maybe right. a competitor, yes. maybe someone um, in a complementary business. So a trade buyer would um, look for synergies, they'd look for cost savings. The private equity buyer doesn't see cost savings. Uh, well, they, well they, might, they might do in that they say, well, look, you've got too many staff or whatever. But a, a trade buyer would say, we don't need two bookkeepers. You've got a bookkeeper. We've got a bookkeeper. You don't need two receptionists because we're going to move the staff into one set of offices. So they see those synergies uh, and they're more um, uh, sensible about the value of those synergies because uh, you're dealing with um, individuals who uh, are more emotional about it than the private equity people who are, who are, who are, who are uh, you know, hard nuts. I mean, they're, they're tough, tough guys. Um, but, but you've sold to both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the tough guys, you know, they make a lot of money. I mean, mm. they make huge amounts of money. I mean, they 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 make tens of millions of pounds on deals. I mean, yeah. so they they are they're they're hot shots. When you sold, am I allowed to say about the business you sold? Which one? The, well, if I say very, it, I've said it very the, recently. The one, we, or a while the one ago. that you were running when we met, the one. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's okay. absolutely. Yeah. So I could say the coaching academy. For yeah, example. yeah. So it's a very well-known business. Yeah. So when you sold that, how long did it take, start to finish, to sell it? Because you, which which um firm did you sell it to? Which um, equity firm? Uh, I sold it to uh, to a private equity firm that um, is uh, not very well known. Actually, it's right. quite a quite a quite a small firm, very professional firm yeah. that's owned some some quite well known uh, brands, high street high street brands. Did they own Little Chef? Did they? They did yeah, own Little yeah, Chef. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. So you, you sold to them. How long did it take from thinking? I'm trying to remember actually. Um, from the the process was probably over about twelve or sixteen week process. Yeah. Oh, so quite quick. Um, but they they're fast movers. I mean, they're very professional guys, and uh, they they went from. Um, Again, you know, like a space of probably meeting on a Monday and and having an offer on the Friday. Really? Yeah. And then they've got to do their diligence process and all. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Which is which is painful. I mean, yeah. it's always painful if you're on the receiving end of it. Of course. Um, which is which is you know quite good if you're the person buying because yeah. the the seller is 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 hating it and wishing it all be over. Um, yeah. you know, they're getting their they're getting itchy. Uh, and twitchy, yeah. and uh, they're and basically that, saying that yeah. goes down. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, they might, it might, yeah. it might happen, yeah, because yeah. they're they're emotionally invested, but you're not. Mm. Because if you're doing six deals at the same time, you're pretty much at the same time. You've got six deals in your pipeline at different yeah. parts of the development. You know, some you're just meeting, some you're just closing, and then the rest in between. Um, then you become very, very. It's, again, it's like property. You do your first viewing. And you're a little bit nervous about doing a viewing. Yeah, what question should I ask? You know, you you let the estate agent lead you. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Do twenty viewings, and you you you're telling the estate agent their job. Yeah. Mm. So, when you sold, did you get what you wanted money wise? Yes. 
Okay. Did you have to do a load of it in future payments, or did you get a cash lump? No, it was um, it was a very good deal. Yeah, but but so it was a very a good, good amount deal. Of cash up front. It was a very good deal, helped by the fact that it was a great business, very profitable business, very cash rich business, um, and the. Um, the, the timing was was always was was helpful. Yeah. Um, it was just after the uh, what was the bank Northern Rock. Yeah. It was just after Northern Rock, but it was before everyone kind of realised there was a bigger problem. Um, but if that I, company's if it, still it, running, isn't it? That you oh, it's still doing it's really not, well. Yeah. I mean, it's a very very successful Why did business. You sell? Really well managed. Um, I was standing. Um, I decided to sell round about <laughs> probably New Year's Day or the day after. That's and, funny, and, and, and I and I was thinking, you know what? I'm ready for the next. I'm ready for the next thing. Yeah. I couldn't see it getting any bigger than it was, um, but that was probably limiting me, limiting that. And I was ready for a new challenge. I've been doing it for seven years. I was just. I was just. I. I. I had itchy feet. I was. I was. I was ready to yeah. to move on. And um, did you take some time out? Did you retire for a bit? Oh, for like six weeks. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Uh, and then got bored. There's only so much Judge Judy you can watch in the <laughs> afternoon. And then what? And then you decided to set up another one, or did that, was it then when you started bu- thinking about buying rather than? Yeah, it was. Up? It was. A co- it was a combination of the two. Yeah, because because during the course of, of owning the coaching academy, I bought up competitors. Mm. Um, so I I bought up, and this is what I was saying at the at the start yeah. that it, yeah it was, it was one exit, but there were several deals of acquisition deals that led up to that one exit. Right, yeah, this is what we want to start doing more of in the next So on the surface, it looks like one, but in actual fact, there were deals that sort of, that built the, I mean, we doubled the value of the business in 12 months with one acquisition. Right. And that was a sort of a, a, a distressed acquisition. And that, that was a competitor? It was a very annoying competitor because they were people who used to work for me. Oh, right. So they worked for you, they left for you, they set up a competition, oh, and yeah. you bought them back. To... Right. Yes. So, 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 you know, I, I, had, a, I had a guy who, who, who was like my right hand man. You know, you know, very sort of, um, very convivial. He, he, he got on very well with a client, and they got their heads together. Um, took half my staff, half my training team, set up in competition. Um, they stole my database, and I could never prove it. I couldn't prove it, but I knew they'd stolen my database because my customers were being contacted, but it was really hard to prove. And quite frankly, I had to get over it in order just to move the business, the yeah. business forward. And when I ended up buying the business back, um, one of the, the key trainers who was the managing director of that business was actually on holiday. Uh, and she came into the office a couple of days after I bought it. She'd been on holiday. She came in a couple of days after I bought it. And um, she shook my hand with a steely look in her eye because, of course, she now realized her head was on the, on the block. So I took her down to the cafe and fired her. On the, on <laughs> you the, sound like you really the, enjoyed I, it. I loved every moment <laughs> of it. And, and then I, um, because these were the days before cloud computing, so I got the server unplugged the server, gave it to one of my team members who came with me, and I said, go and give him my car key. He said, lock it in the boot of my car. I took it back to the hotel that night, plugged it in to see what was on the server, and there was my database. So at last I had the proof yeah. that they'd stolen it. Of course, I owned them at that point. Yeah. But that doubled the value of the sale price of my business for several reasons. We'd removed a competitor from the marketplace, which is always a smart thing to do, very smart thing to do. The second thing is we... Um, uh, so we moved the competitor. We diverted all the phone lines and the web traffic to our office. Yeah. Um, and the third thing, um, we showed the private equity people that we could grow via acquisition. 
which is because the question always is, so you're doing this much now. How mm. do you get up here? Yeah. How do we get up here? We need to have a smart answer. The smart answer is typically you grow via acquisition yeah. or you enter new markets or you do it in America or whatever it might be. Um, but we could say grow via acquisition. And by the way, we just did one yeah. and we bedded it in. We integrated within a matter of weeks. Um, and I made money on that deal as well because yeah. uh, Clydesdale Bank had funded a lot of the training programs for this for, for my competitor right. and they now had a liability. So two very serious guys came from, because if, if, if the training course wasn't delivered, they had money they had to give back to, uh, you know, I'm getting the details a little hazy because it, mm. it was a long time ago, 10 years ago. But I had two very serious guys from Clydesdale Bank come in and sit with me, and they said, well, would, you, would you do the training courses for, for the company that you've just bought? You have no obligation to, but would you? I said, well, if you pay me. Yeah. So they paid me 50,000 pounds. So I made 50,000 pounds <laughs> within weeks of buying the, buying the business. That was a nice little extra I wasn't expecting. Yeah, what, what a journey. It was fun. Yeah. And, and the thing is, all of this is fun. I, I keep saying you've got to be, you know, you can't be emotional about it, but it is a huge amount of fun. And the jubilation, the, you know, the, one of the last uh, sales that I did, we completed, it was about 10 o'clock in the evening in a, in a restaurant in Putney. And there were maybe eight of us having dinner. We just had a, like a mastermind day that day. Uh, and I was sitting there uh, as my, my, my lawyer, my, my co-shareholder and uh, my other lawyer sitting the other side of me. And uh, eventually the word came through that, um, that everything had been sorted. I went up to the bar because it was the only hard surface that didn't have things on it. We stood at the end of the bar and I just signed everything, signed, and, yeah. and then it was like, yep, we've completed. Like, like completing on a property, yeah. all done, just done over the phone, completed, brilliant, sold. Let's get back to the, uh, let's get back to the champagne. Great, and you've done that now a few times, obviously 16 deals. It's fun, it's, it's, rolls up. It's, it's, it's exciting, it's thrilling, yeah. um, and it appeals to the entrepreneurially minded Well, person. we were talking about this, weren't we, before we put the cameras on and the audio on, it's like, People love doing deals. Who doesn't love doing deals? And uh, you know, a lot of my um, property following, uh, you know, working with you, and obviously you're helping us, working with us, mentoring us through this process. So, we, who doesn't love doing a deal? Uh, doing a deal is more interesting than doing the filing, producing invoices, yeah. um, fiddling around with Facebook yeah. ads. You get to be creative. Yeah, absolutely. You see, you see the opportunity in businesses that people, that other people don't see. Yeah. So where can people follow you? You know, if people want to watch what you do, and do you are you on social media? I, well, I I, <laughs> I I dabble with social media. Yeah. yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Obviously, you can find me on LinkedIn. So what? Just Jonathan J and J- Jonathan J. Uh, face, there's a Facebook group which is the Dealmakers Academy. Yeah. Um, but that's the two. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't tweet. No. Um, <laughs> that's going a bit. Too, and I don't Instagram either. Right. So yeah, link, LinkedIn or Dealmakers Academy on Facebook. Yeah. Jonathan, let's go and have lunch and talk about it more. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Cheers.